Okay, now, what are we looking at in Galatians chapter 5 this morning? We are looking at what it means to stand free. And Paul has been saying this throughout the letter. We've been getting the doctrinal foundation, and 5 and 6 is going to move into the practical application, but he's still giving us a little bit of explanation as we get in to uh, the very beginning of chapter 5. There's a quote on here from Timothy George that I thought was so good, dealing with verse 1. He says, because of who God is and what he has done for believers in Jesus Christ, Christians are commanded to become what they are. That is, to make visible in the earthly realm of their human existence what God has already declared and sealed in the divine verdict of justification. Now that means when you were saved at that very moment, you were stamped justified. It's just like when Moses believed and God credited or declared him righteous. You are now the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is truth. That is what happened the moment you were saved. So you need to understand you are completely justified just as you are. All sin wiped away, cleansed in the name of Jesus. He says, when this indissoluble connection is forgotten or downplayed, the temptation for the Christian to lapse into legalism on the one hand or into libertinism or liberalism on the other becomes a serious threat to Christian freedom. The fact of justification propels the Christian into a world of struggle, an in-between time bounded by the great accomplishment of redemption in Christ's finished work on the cross on the one hand and the yet-to-be-realized consummation of God's salvific purposes at the second advent of Christ on the other. So what is he saying? We've still got to struggle, don't we? <laughs> it's what he was talking about when he wrote the Romans and says, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. Why? Because there's still a struggle in our spirit and flesh. Until we see Christ, we will not fully die to the flesh. Although we make progress and we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And as we've talked in the past, God created our minds, our literal brains to be renewed. And as we refuse the thoughts of the flesh, as we put them to death on a daily basis, and we instead replace them with the truth of God's word, then we begin to create those new neural pathways. And through those, our minds are renewed and we begin to think sanely and to think biblically. But it also means you're going to think differently from the world. You are not going to fit in. You're going to be different even among many Christians because there are a lot of people who claim the name of Christ that are cultural Christians or they're 1 Corinthians 3 Christians. They're carnal is what Paul says because they're trying to live the Christian life in the flesh. And that's an impossibility because when we do, we're leaning on our own understanding. We're reasoning instead of going straight to the word of God and saying, what does God say? One of my pet peeves back in the day before we started really doing heavy-duty Bible study for women was when I would go to a women's Bible study or a Sunday school class and they would open up a passage of Scripture and everybody would just go around the room and tell about what they thought it said. Well, I think, well, I think, you know, I'm going to go, I, I love you and I care what you think about a lot of things, but not this. <laughs> I want to know what God says what does God say? What does God think? So we have to go into his word and ask him to reveal his truth to us and not compromise it, not try to make it fit our lifestyle, not try to justify the way we think, but just line our lives up with the truth of God's word. So what does he say in verse one? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Where else do we see stand firm? 
Think about Ephesians 6 when he's giving us the whole armor of God, right? What does he say? Stand firm, therefore, against the schemes of the enemy, right? So we are to stand firm in the freedom we have in Christ, not listening to the evil one, not listening to our flesh, not being sucked into the world, but instead standing firm in the freedom we have because we are justified in Christ Jesus. And we need to claim everything that belongs to us because we are in Christ, He says, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't slip back into the flesh. Don't go back to doing the things you did before. Don't go back to checkbox Christianity. Die to that. You don't have to impress anybody. And if you grew up in that era, it was embarrassing because you had to hand your envelope in and, you know, you you passed it around and put it in a little bucket and you knew your teacher's going to see it and she's going to know if you didn't read your Bible daily or if you didn't do this or didn't do that. And so there was incredible pressure to mark all those boxes, you know. That is not what Christ has called us to. He has called us to a real, living, and vital relationship with him. Not man-made rules. Not pleasing man, but living to please him. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, Openness Unhindered, said, If we are in Christ, then Christ lives in our place. He took our place on the cross, and he fulfills our place today. In Christ, I am no longer a slave to self, sin, and selfishness. In Christ, I'm no longer alone. This does not, however, mean that I call sin by any other name. The law of God is my tutor. And we have read that, have we not, in Galatians? The law was our tutor because it shows me God's will prohibits sin, exposes my failings, and enlists me in the school of Christ. That's what we're doing. We have enlisted in the school of Christ. That's why you do Bible study. It's to get to know him as you know his word. Because Jesus himself said, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you're going to find eternal life, but they point to me. So we come to the the scripture. We open God's word to say, God, what do you want to reveal to us about you? What do we need to know about Jesus, and how do our lives need to conform to him? So let's look at verses 2 through 5. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. This keeps coming back up, doesn't it? And then we're getting into the part now where he's he's just almost yelling at them, don't do it. (laughs) Why? Because you're going back to the flesh. You're going back to trying to please man. He says, I'm saying to you, it is no benefit. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Timothy George said, Paul did not here contemplate the forfeiture of salvation by a truly regenerated believer. He was writing to Christian churches that were founded on the doctrines of grace, but that were in danger of forsaking that sound doctrinal bedrock for a theology that can only lead to ruin. Anytime we're depending on our own strength, anytime we're depending on our own reasoning, we're going to get in trouble. We're going to fall into sin. We have to go back to God's word and say, what does God's word say? 1 Corinthians 7, 18 through 19 says, was a man already circumcised when he was called? Called to Christ is what he meant. He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. It is not what happens on the outside. It's a heart change. We exchange our heart for the heart of God. We now have no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh that's able to respond to him and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he's moving now then from the flesh and circumcision, all the outward things, and he's going to focus in 
on the internal. Let's look at 6 through 12. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So what does that mean? It means we have to believe, and out of that belief comes love. So faith working through love. <clears throat> you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. That's pretty strong. <laughs> so he's saying, you were running well. You, you had, you grasped it. You were saved. You understood that you could not earn salvation, that the law points you to your need for a savior and that Jesus Christ had taken your place. You received him. You were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Why are you going back to trying to please man? Why are you going back to trying to earn God's favor in the flesh as though you could actually do that? And he goes on to say a little leaven, a little opening up to the flesh, a little trying to please man does what? It leavens the whole lump of dough, right? Now, I brought a little package of yeast, and this is only one-fourth of an ounce. That's not very much yeast, is it? But you know, back during COVID, when everybody started cooking and baking, I did too. And I have never been a big bread baker, but during COVID, I became a bread baker. And I found this really awesome recipe online for a whole wheat bread that was sweetened with honey. It was all natural ingredients. And so I got excited about making it because you put it in your stand mixer and it mixed it. You didn't have to, you know, you didn't have to knead it yourself. The mixer did all the work for you. And then you put the oven on like 200 and you put it in there and it would rise in like 20 to 30 minutes and then you bake it. It was just so fast. They called it one hour bread and it was so good. There's nothing much better than a slice of whole wheat bread right out of the oven with a little bit of butter and honey on it. <laughs> but the recipe calls for seven and a half cups of whole wheat flour. And only a fourth of an ounce of yeast would leaven the entire lump of dough. And I would get two nice, fluffy, big loaves of bread out of that one little package of yeast. So what is he saying? It's a little compromises, right? I was talking to my daughter-in-law on the way in this morning and asking specific ways I can pray. And their oldest daughter is a teenager and... Um, I'm sure loves being an object of our sermon illustrations and message illustrations, but anyway, um, it is what it is. When teenagers become teenagers, and I teach ninth grade girls, which is kind of fun because Olivia's in the ninth grade, um, they start thinking that they can make decisions on their own, have more freedom than they're really ready to have, and so they don't understand that when they get punished and maybe their phone gets taken away from them for a certain period of time or whatever for something that they feel like is a really slight offense or breaking of the rules... And we were just talking about that, how it's that compromise, it's that little compromise that leads to the next compromise, to the next compromise, to the big fall. That's how it happens. You don't wake up one day thinking, I'm going to go commit adultery, or I'm going to be a porn addict, or I'm going to be a drug addict. It does, you don't do that. It's one compromise after another, after another, and you slide into it. And the enemy is more than happy to lure you in. He doesn't show you the hook in the lure. <laughs> There's always a hook. So we have to be careful that we don't try to go back to earning God's favor in the flesh. But understand there's absolutely nothing we can do 
And so we cast ourselves upon him and we immerse ourselves in his word so that he changes us from the inside out. What does Paul say? He says he wishes those that have cut them off would cut themselves. So he's showing them how serious this is, right? And he goes from that into saying, we need to serve one another through love. Look back at 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, don't coddle your flesh, don't turn it into an opportunity for the flesh, but instead, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So what is he saying in this passage, these 15 verses? He's basically telling us that we are called to freedom. We have been given freedom because we're in Christ. We are justified in Christ. We're no longer bound to the flesh. Every day we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. If we will do that, we will find incredible resurrection life and freedom that can only be found in Christ. But he says, don't use that freedom for the flesh. Don't, you've been given this freedom. Don't go back to trying to do it in the flesh or trying to earn God's favor in the flesh or thinking that you can obey the law again in the flesh. You've got to understand, no, I've died to that. I have died to my flesh so that Christ can live through me. And so when I'm loving Christ with my whole being, his love will flow through me because I've died to my flesh and his love has taken over. And then he enables me to love my neighbor as I love myself. So we're called to one law and it's summed up in one word, love, right? So I want, well, I've actually got a little devotional. I was going to share something with you out of Amy Carmichael, this past week I have been reminiscing quite a bit and going back to some of the older writings and authors that I read in my early years of being an adult and really seeking hard after God. And I brought a couple of books with me this morning. One of them is Amy Carmichael's. It's one of her devotionals, Edges of His Ways. If you're familiar with Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary to India at the turn of the 1900s. She was in India for 50 years. She founded Donover Fellowship, and they would go into these Hindu temples and would rescue babies and little girls who had been taken there, given to the to temples as prostitutes for their ritualistic worship of their Hindu gods. And they would go in and rescue these babies and these little girls and bring them to Donover, which was an orphanage, and they would love these children and teach them about the Lord. And Amy says, if you give me a child until they're 12, I will give you a missionary. But one of the things she talks about is what happens when we get into the flesh. And this one struck, just jumped out at me because of the way our culture is feeding on fear right now. Everything is like hysteria area everywhere. You look at news, I mean, things that people post. It's like, I've just almost completely quit looking at social media because it's just, we're biting and devouring one another. <laughs> and everybody's living in fear. But listen to what she said. She was talking about the spirit of fear. She said, I've been thinking of another, a greater reason for refusing the spirit of fear. When we're downhearted or fearful or weak, we are saying to everybody by looks and deeds, if not by words, after all, our Lord is not to be absolutely trusted. Somewhere near us, though, we do not see them. Our others, the good angels and the spirits of evil, to them too, when we yield to fear, we say the same dishonoring thing. Our God cannot 
be trusted. So for the greater glory of our glorious Savior, who has never once failed us and never will fail us, who has loved and led and guarded us all these years, let us look to him now and pray from the ground of our heart, Lord, give us valor. Give us courage. Make us bold. We are to live separated from the world. Because we are in Christ Jesus, we are set apart We don't belong. And that's a tough thing to tell a teenager, but it's also tough sometimes for us as adults not to cave into peer pressure, not to want to be accepted by the world. Remember why we were given the law? Galatians 3.19 tells us it was added because of transgression, because of sin we were given the law, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed, Christ, would come to whom the promise had been made. So let's think about the progression of the law. This book, I just finished reading a book recently, and the title of the book is The Story of Reality. This book is the story of reality. It tells us about the God who created all that we know. It also tells us how we can understand the way things went wrong, why difficult things happen, why there's suffering in the world. This this book, the Bible, tells us that. So if we think about the very beginning, we go back to the garden, what did they have in the garden? One law, right? One rule. In the garden, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if they did, what were they saying? There's knowledge outside of God. There's something we need that God's holding out on us, right? So that was their test in the center of the garden in a paradise, which was actually the first temple. Because God's unveiled presence dwelt there with Adam and Eve. And the Bible tells us that he walked with them in the garden. He talked with them openly. They were not separated from him. They were completely innocent. In fact, the Bible tells us they were naked and unashamed. So there's one law. But the moment they listened to the voice of the enemy and allowed doubt to come in, remember, faith and fear, faith and doubt cannot coexist in the human heart. One forces out the other. And so they listened They allowed doubt to come in and to force out faith. And then they started thinking, oh, we can be like God. I can be God. I can call the shots, which is exactly what we do when we don't bow the knee to God's word and instead think we know better than God or we want to live a certain way that God says is not a way to live and honor him, but we want it. We feel we want it. And so we go after it and we find out it puts us in bondage, which was exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They listened to the voice of the enemy. And when they sinned, what happened? Death, separation, pain, guilt, fear. All of this came in on them. And they're outside the garden now, separated from God, separated from each other. And now, you know how many laws there are in the Old Testament? 613 laws from one because of sin to 613 laws. And the laws were given by God because he's mad at us? No, In his great mercy and grace, they were given to protect us from self-destructing, to be our provision, our protection, so that he could protect a group of people to fulfill his promise from Genesis 3.15 to send the seed of woman who would crush the head of the serpent, our enemy. And so God takes Moses up on Mount Sinai and he gives him all the laws. But he also gives him the dimensions for a tabernacle a place for God's presence to dwell once again with his people because that's always been God's desire. From creation has been to dwell with us, to commune with us, for us to be one with him. So God 
God's presence came and dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And that tabernacle was in the very center of their encampment with the Levites around them and the rest of the tribe of Israel camped around that. And what did they do? Steve preached about that Sunday when the cloud lifted. They packed it up and they followed the cloud, didn't they? It was a cloud by day and fire by night. They didn't have to worry about where they were going to camp, how long they were going to be there. They didn't have to think about it. All they had to do was follow the cloud. God was with them. And even though God said, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send an angel with you. When they uh, made the golden calf, Moses interceded. He pled with God for them. And God said, okay, I will relent. I will go with you. Because what did Moses say? If we don't have your presence, we're no different from anybody else. Believers... If you don't experience the manifest presence of God in your life, if you don't die to your flesh so that his spirit is released to take over your life, you are no different from anybody else. You're trying to live life in the flesh and based on your own reasoning. So God gives them the tabernacle, later the temple, where his presence would dwell. But we're still separated from him, right? Because Nobody can go into the Holy of Holies. Nobody can experience his presence except the high priest. And that's only one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And so the people are still not able to have an intimate relationship with their God. They're still separated from him because of their sin. And the only reason he doesn't destroy them is because they offer that blood sacrifice that covers their sin every year. But it has to be redone year after year after year. In fact, in the book, The Story of Reality, listen to what the author says. Here's the key to understanding the problem of evil. When God's children disobeyed their heavenly father, they damaged everything. When Adam and Eve rebelled against the king of the universe, they broke the whole world. This is why there's evil and suffering. Bad things happen in a world that's broken. Every evil that assaults us is the result of rejecting God's rule. Sin is the mutation that has twisted and distorted man from his original beauty. Sin is what has broken the world, and a broken world produces broken people and crippled circumstances. Note two things, though. First, trouble, hardship, difficulty, pain, suffering, conflict, tragedy, evil, they are all part of the story. It's the reason there is any story at all. The story not only explains the evil people do, it predicts it. Our world is exactly the kind of world we'd expect it to be if the story were true and not just religious, willful thinking. Sin brought chaos. But God is a God of order and peace, shalom, well-being, flourishing. Thus he gave Moses the commandments for his people, laws for their protection and provision, yet no one was able to keep it. Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short every single one of us, of the glory of God. But then God, in his grace and mercy, fulfilled the promise he made in Genesis 3.15, and he sent Jesus Christ to live and to die vicariously. Do you know what it means to be a vicarious substitute for us? It's in our place. If something's vicarious, they do it in your place. Christ did not deserve to die, but he took my place and your place and the place of every person who will ever call upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. He took our place when he died, paying our penalty for sin on the cross, was buried, but God raised him from the dead. And Jesus says once more, now because of my sacrifice, my once for all sacrifice for you, paying the penalty of your sin, covering you with my blood, now you're back to one law. 
Only one. And what is that law? To love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And Jesus said, that's how people are going to know you're mine because that's the one law, the one thing you're to do. And what did Galatians say? It's summed up in one word, love. Now, it seems like that would be pretty easy for us to get, does it not? Like, okay, come on, people. We're called to love. That is it. But what happens when we instead turn in through sin and self-protect and self-promote? What do we do? We've talked about it. We turn in, right? We turn in on ourselves. And when we turn in on ourselves, we cannot love someone else because we're too focused on ourselves. We're also separating ourselves from the Lord because we're turned in on self. It is only as we look up to him and fix our eyes on Jesus that he gives us his love to look out at a lost world. So if I'm not loving my neighbor, you know what that tells me? I'm not loving Jesus. He's not preeminent in my life. Because if he is preeminent, I can't help but love other people. Because if I love him with my whole being, my whole being is consumed with him, his love is going to be released in me and through me, and I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I'm also going to love my lost neighbor who does not know Jesus. And I'm going to have a hard time going to bed at night knowing if that person died, they go to hell. What about people and nations who've never heard? Do we care? Or are we so comfortable in America, because we're not being persecuted yet for our faith, that we can forget the people in other countries and nations and people groups who've never heard the good news? It's our responsibility. I said it last time I taught. Believers don't hide and hoard. We give and go. That's, we, we died Paul said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. I mean, guys, if we die, we're out of here, right? I mean, I, th- I think maybe I told y'all that, I don't remember if I told y'all this or not, but I'll tell it because it just came back to my mind. I've got a small group of girls in the ninth grade that are in a D group, and they were coming in all in a twit one Wednesday night and distressed, and you know, every school stressful, everything's stressful, everybody's stressful. If you're not stressed, you don't fit in with the world because everybody's stressed. And so they were just talking about it, and I just went, okay, I, I get this. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, oh, China drops an atom bomb on us. I said, you're fried and gone. That is like the best case scenario. (laughs) No pain, no suffering, boom. You won't know what hits you. You're in the presence of Jesus. So, okay, alleviated that worry. (laughs) Now, what have you got left? If I have died to my flesh, I don't have worries. That's just it. We are to be anxious for nothing, no thing. Instead, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking out of the world and saying, God, send me. Send me. Send me wherever you want to send me, God. I hold nothing back. It's all on the altar, all of it. How do you want me to serve my neighbor? How do I serve my sisters, my brothers in Christ? How do I serve the people in my city? God, what are you calling me to? That is to be our focus. Because then it's going to be evident we belong to him because we're loving other people. Is it evident? We have a lot of loving people in our church and congregation. But when I look at Christianity at large, and when I look at the small percentage of people that are very loud on social media, I would not say that we love each other. I would say we're biting and devouring one another, that we're canceling one another, that we're judging one another. That is not honoring Christ. That is fleshly. It's demonic. It's worldly. We should have absolutely nothing to do with it. 
Because I love you, I'm going to cast you in the best possible light. I'm going to choose to think the best of you. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask the Lord to show me who it is he's created you to be so I can help call that person forward. Because he's created you with a very specific set of gifts and passions. And he's wanting to use you at this point in history to advance his kingdom and bring people to Jesus. And if you allow the enemy to distract you by the things of this world, you will not fulfill God's plan for your life. And it's a good plan. It's an adventurous plan. You're going to have to step out in faith because it's going to be outside of your comfort zone. But then you get to see him do what only he can do. The next thing on the prophetic calendar, ladies, as we mentioned earlier, is that trumpet. It's going to blow and we're gone. Jesus is coming for us. And he is preparing a place for us. You know, Jesus, when he came... The Bible says he was the word that became flesh and dwelt. And that word for dwelt is literally tabernacled among us. So we had God with us, Emmanuel, in Jesus Christ. And when he died and was resurrected, what did he say to his followers? Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And then I'm going to send you out. You're going to be my witnesses, right? Well, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And what did little tongues of fire on top of all their heads? Showing that now we are living temples of God, the one that we couldn't approach before Christ without his holiness consuming us now lives within us without destroying us. And if we will die to our flesh and the entrapments of the world, he will conform us more and more to be like his son. And one day, when we enter the new Jerusalem, listen to this. Revelation 21, 22 through 27 I saw no temple in it. Okay, garden, no temple. Manifest presence of God. New Jerusalem, no temple. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Don't you love that? The Lamb is the lamp of heaven. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, we should rejoice. That's what Jesus told his disciples. They came back blown away when they went out to share the gospel that people were being healed and Demons were being cast out, and he said, don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so we should rejoice, and we should then choose to love the Lord with our whole being and then to love our neighbor by ourselves, so that we will accurately reflect Christ, and we will be known, as he said we would, by our love for one another. Now, during Missions Week, we had several of our members share about the ministries through which they serve our city. So I want to ask you, when people observe your life, Do they see your love? Do they see your love for the Lord and then consequently your love for others? Are they seeing you serve? Do you serve your family? Do you serve your neighbors? Do you serve in your church family? Are you serving in the city? Are you praying over the city? You have a whole list of ministries here. And if you stayed for lunch that day, you heard some of our volunteers share about their volunteer experiences with all of these ministries. And these guys, these are not all of them. These are just a few of the pathways, opportunities for you to get involved, to be able to love your neighbor as you love yourself. As you just walk down through here, and yesterday I was tutoring through a rise to read at Treadwell, and I was working with um, two little girls 
girls, the first little girl, both of them are Hispanic background, Spanish-speaking homes, and the first little girl, they both came in very low because they're learning English as well. Um, they still have pretty strong accents, but the first little girl we're working with is doing amazingly well. She started out, her first word was like kindergarten level. Now she's in the beginning of sixth grade in sight words. Y'all, she's doing such a great job. And we have passages of scripture, uh, of scripture, of words that they can read, like a, a big paragraph that utilizes some of the words they're working on. And so each week at the end, we'll do one of those passages and there's comprehension questions. Because she was doing so well, so this is just a second grader now, right? Because she's doing so well, I started working with her on just reading fluency. And I started talking to her about punctuation. And what does your voice sound like if there's a question mark? What if there's an exclamation? point. What does that sound like? And so then I would read it, model it for her, and then she would read. Well, she really enjoys doing that. So yesterday was kind of a review of where all all the words they've done and some of the ones they've missed along the way, reviewing them because next week they start post-testing them. So we were doing this review, and at one point during the review, she looked at me, she goes, are we going to do a passage? I said, baby, we will do a passage. And so we did, we finished in a passage, she aced their comprehension questions, and then we got a double high five at the end, and I was just so excited about it. My mom and I were just delighted to see how thrilled she was and how excited she was over what she's doing, and I I was telling Steve about it last night, and he said, Donna, that's what it's all about. It's really what it's all about. It's going out and giving ourselves away so that we can love and be known by our love for one another. You can serve through a way out, the Calvary Rescue Mission, the Memphis Morning Center, which does prenatal care for mothers who don't have insurance. And we have doctors, Christian doctors, who will freely deliver their babies for them. The Memphis Coalition for Life, One by One Ministries, Spreading Sunshine, um, Sister to Sister, Life Choices of Memphis, Bellevue Orphan Care. That's such an, you can be a prayer warrior. You can stand in the gap on behalf of a, a family that's fostering or adopting. Confidential Care Mobile Ministry, Bellevue loves Memphis. <laughs> Next Saturday, our church makes it so easy for us. It's like, okay, go online, click a thing where you want to serve. Everything's going to be provided for there. You just show up and serve for two, three, four hours, and then you leave. And what does that say to our city? We love you. We care that you're hurting. We want you to have the things that you need. And we want you to know that the reason we do this is because we love Jesus Christ. And he's changed us. And he would love to change your life. He would love for you to know him as Lord and Savior and have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what drives us. Love for him that flows out into love for others. One of my other favorite authors is Jeannie Guyon. She lived in the 300s, so the 4th century in France, And she taught people that they could go straight to God in prayer because of Jesus. If you remember anything about the 4th century, if you're like me, you've basically forgotten everything you ever knew about world history. But the Catholic Church was in charge at that time, and you didn't go straight to God in prayer. You went through a priest. And so she was actually imprisoned for teaching that. But her writings, her works, and her teachings still exist. She impacted people like Watchman Nee and Fenelon and some of the other great followers of Christ who had such an impact on our world. But listen to what she says. Forget yourself and your own personal ambitions. Let your love for God increase. In so doing, you will learn to love the creator more than the created. Dear ones, how simple this truth is. Even the uneducated may learn to live in love. My own heart is burdened when I think how easily the entire church could be transformed if only they would love 
but will they? Will you? Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, guilt comes from the evil one. So if anybody's feeling guilty, that's the enemy condemning you so you won't do anything. The Spirit of the living God convicts us, and the Bible tells us it's his loving kindness that draws us to repentance. So if the Holy Spirit is convicting, showing you, You've been hiding in fear. You haven't been going. You've been self-protecting. You've turned in on self. Instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus and loving him with your entire being. And then when you do, he sets you free to love your neighbor. Father, that is our heart's desire. We want to live under your one law, the law of love. But Lord, the only way we can do that is if you enable us to love you with our whole being. God, we're asking you. We want to be consumed by love for you to the forgetfulness of all the things of the world that your love might be released in us to love our neighbor. Lord, so that we will be known by our love for one another and that we'll be willing to go Anywhere you call us, we will go. We'll reach out to our neighbor who doesn't know you, to the cashier. We'll serve in the ministry. We'll sign up to serve through Bellevue Los Memphis next Saturday, going out spreading the love of Christ everywhere we go because we are your ambassadors. And, oh, Father, we so desire to accurately represent you it's love all we've been learning all we've been studying and reading up until this point is for your revelation of the one law to which you've called us the law of love so God of love fill us with your love and use us as vessels of honor in your hand to point other people to Jesus we surrender. We surrender to your great love, to your goodness. And we ask, Lord, that you'd be glorified in us and through us for your name's sake. Until that day, our eyes see you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.